a lot is made about how to defeat the devil and his attacks. Unfortunately, though, much of it only makes things worse, not better. If you're feeling under attack, I'm here to simplify the way out. Everything you need to know about spiritual warfare comes down to just three things. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil and creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I am all about shutting down the lies and the struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience, and I'd love for you to join me live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Okay, you and I have a real enemy. I hope you know that. Throughout the Bible, he's mentioned many times, both in the Old and New Testaments. He's mentioned by Jesus, just about every other New Testament author. He's known by various names, mostly, though, as Satan or the devil. And when it comes to how people deal with him today, there's usually one of two perspectives. Some don't talk about him at all, and others talk about him too much. Underemphasis and overemphasis. Both are overreactions, really rooted in fear. Now, I know that saying some people talk about the devil too much might sound kind of strange coming from a guy with a book and an app and a podcast titled Shut Up Devil. But truly, my goal is not to obsess about the works of the enemy, but to boast in Jesus who defeated him. I think that's the balanced approach. You can't ignore the reality of the devil in 2 Corinthians 2, 11. Paul says not to be ignorant of the enemy's schemes, but at the same time, there are lots of scriptures that reveal plenty of reason not to be afraid of his schemes, and we'll go through some of those scriptures throughout this message. But I've found that getting this out of balance tends to make Christians even more entangled in things that they're trying to get out of. Pretending that there's no enemy and no spiritual warfare causes people to ignore the roots of some things that might need to be addressed in their lives. And an overemphasis on everything being the devil and on everything you need to do to defeat the devil causes people to exhaust themselves in works of the flesh that only add to their problems. So in this message, I'm going to simplify this thing called spiritual warfare. I'm going to boil it down into three principles so that you can deal with what you need to deal with and then get on with life. And I do mean that. I've got to say that at this point. You don't have to live forever under attack. I used to think, and I know a lot of people think this, that the closer you are to God, then the more you're attacked by the devil. And that doesn't have to be the case. Not always. You don't have to fear that growing a relationship with God means that you're going to just undergo more and more attack. Not when you know what I'm about to show you. Before getting into the three principles, you need to know a brief history of the enemy. The Bible says that he was created, not as the devil, but as Lucifer, which is a name that means light bearer. What we can get from Scripture, particularly in Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 17, is that he was once an angel whose job it was to reflect the glory of God. 
I'm not going to go through all the verses in this message I do in my audio series, Divine Dynamite. But what Ezekiel describes is that in heaven, Lucifer, the angel Lucifer, had a kind of clothing that was covered in gems that basically worked as a mirror, like his clothing was a mirror with all these gems that reflected light. His job was to reflect the light of God, hence the name light bearer. The devil was once close enough to God to reflect his glory. The story goes that Lucifer began to attribute this beauty as his own. Nothing unusual about that, I guess. We see it all the time with gifted people, right? After enough Praise and applause, the tendency of created beings is to take credit for their creator-given abilities. And that's what it seems that Lucifer succumbed to. He got puffed up with pride and was banished by God to earth, where he became Satan. Satan in Hebrew, which means adversary or one who opposes. Now here's a crucial question. What does Satan oppose? Many would say that he opposes God. But I think that makes the enemy far larger than he really is. It almost makes him out to be God's arch enemy. We have to get this straight. God is the creator, and the enemy is the created. The devil knows that, and the devil even knows his fate, which is that he'll be thrown into the lake of fire at the end of time. That isn't changing. So he's not really working to try to bring God down. He knows that's not possible. So he works to try to oppose God's creation, which is us. I have to reiterate this. Spiritual warfare is not the devil versus God. It's the devil versus us, you and me. In the Old Testament, we see Satan doing this in two main places. The first is in the creation story. He appears as the serpent who tempts Adam and Eve and ultimately influences them to sin. Most of us know that story right. The second place where we see him opposing people is in the book of Job. And I'm going to use Job's story here throughout this message to build the foundation that gets to our three spiritual warfare principles. In Job's story, right off the bat, we see something interesting. It seems from Job's story, when you read through the first chapter, that Satan has a level of access to God in heaven. Let's look at it. Job 1.6, Satan appears before God in heaven with other angels where he appears to try to change God's mind about a man named Job. As you go on, the enemy really starts to argue with God, saying in verse 9 that you have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. He goes on, take everything away and then see what he does. And God ultimately said, okay, you can try to take away his possessions, but I guarantee it's not going to change him. God was so certain of his character, so certain of Job's character, 
that he said, okay, you can try Satan, but it's not going to change him. And it didn't, not in God's eyes. Job never lost his position with God. Okay, so as I said from Job's story, it seems that the enemy has a level of access to God in heaven. And there's maybe a hint of this in the New Testament too. And that's in Revelation 12.10, which is a picture of the end times. Just before the devil is cast into the lake of fire, it says, for our accuser has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. So there you see, both Job's story and this verse in Revelation have caused some to think that the devil has open access to God in heaven to accuse people. And this, therefore, makes people think that the devil is more powerful than he really is, as if he can just barge into heaven at any time, command God's attention, and influence God with accusations. So first, in Job's story, the angels, including Satan, were summoned. They had to present themselves to God. He called on them to appear and make an account. God remained in charge the entire time, and he remains in charge. If God wants the enemy to appear before him at any time, even right now, he can make that happen. That's what a creator gets to do with anything he created. But secondly, this verse here in Revelation doesn't say that the devil goes to heaven to accuse still today. It just says that he accuses people in the sight of God, and that could be anywhere. I mean, everything is in the sight of God, right? So the point that Revelation makes is that it's not that the enemy has access to heaven, but it's that the devil constantly accuses, like he's always accusing everywhere, anytime. And so this leads us to the first principle in how you handle spiritual warfare. You have to know that though the devil accuses, he does not have the power to change God's mind. Let's go back to the story of Job for just a few minutes. Job is an Old Testament story. We don't know the exact date of when Job lived, but we do know that he lived at a time when someone standing before God, their righteousness, as it's put, was judged by their performance. We see this in the very first verse of Job. There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of us. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Then for like the next five verses or so, the author describes all the laws that Job followed, which is why he could be considered righteous at that time. Well, this is what the devil wanted to test, to see if Job remained worthy of his standing before God, even after being put through some of the worst things. Now, you can read through Job's story, and you'll quickly see that Job was not perfect. He whined, complained, accused God of being unjust, accused God of hating him, accused God of not caring for him. And now before you think, oh, how awful, how could he say such things about God? Remember, Job lost his animals, his children, his health, everything but his wife, really. 
I've accused God of forsaking me over something as small as traffic. And I'm sure you've accused God similarly. But here's the thing. Despite all the stupid stuff that Job did and said, especially about God, the Bible summarizes in this introductory chapter right here, in Job 1.22, that in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. And at the end of the book, the Lord blessed Job and restored his fortunes double. Despite the devil's best efforts, at a time when people's righteousness was judged by their performance, the devil never succeeded to change God's mind about Job. From the beginning, God said, He's blameless to me. And by the end, He remained blameless to God. Even though He didn't act like it all the time. He remained it to God. So if you want to see a glimpse of grace in the Old Testament, Job's story really is a great one. But lest you think this is an isolated story of God showing favoritism to a single person, consider that today. We live on the other side of the cross. Job didn't. We do. We live with the benefit of Jesus' finished work. We live with the benefit of Jesus, who John the Baptist said took away the sin of the world in order to do as the Apostle Paul said and make us permanently right before God. That's John 1, 29, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Romans 3, 22 through 28, Hebrews 9, 6, for those of you who want some Bible for that. What this means for you is that as a believer, God's mind is made up about you. The devil can keep accusing day and night before God. The devil can attack all he wants. He can influence you to react in some less than perfect ways. But God's mind is not changing about you. As a Christian, your status before him is signed in blood and sealed by the Holy Spirit, which is why we have this picture in the end times right there in Revelation 12, 10 through 11, where it says the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. I don't care what the devil says. I don't care the amount of evidence from the past or the present that he uses. He can rant and rave all he wants about why you don't deserve to be blessed and loved and accepted and forgiven and healed and so on, but he's not changing God's mind. That's why, and here's spiritual warfare principle number two, he tries to change your mind. You know, I've gotten a little bit of criticism for this, but I maintain that the only place the enemy has any real power in our lives is in our minds. Your mind is what he's really after, and it's his access key to the rest of you. And now some people say, yeah, but what about health? And what about destruction? Physical attacks. And certainly I'm not denying that the enemy can and still does things like that. Things that can be very painful. Things that look a whole lot like what he did to Job. But I ask, to what end does the enemy make those attacks? It's not because he can destroy you. Not as a believer. Not in any real way. 
He can't destroy your soul as a believer, which is what matters most. According to Colossians 2, 14 through 15, the devil's power to do that was stripped away when Jesus canceled the record of your wrongs on the cross. So the reason the enemy attacks, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually, is ultimately to get into your mind, the control center of your being. Because what you believe in here affects how you see, how you talk, how you walk. Understand this. Whatever the enemy does in your life is aimed to change your mind about two things. Two things. You and God. And this has been what he's been doing from the beginning. To Adam and Eve, he got into their head with a question. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? He put doubt in their minds about God, which influenced their behavior. The doubt came first. Even in Job's case, right in the beginning, we see what Satan was attempting to do in Job 1, verse 11, he said, reach out, take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. It was always the devil's goal to cause Job to distrust God because that distrust influenced every other word and behavior. The New Testament name for enemy, which is devil, in Greek, it means slanderer, which means to use false statements to destroy someone's reputation. That concept right there is the very foundation of my book, Shut Up Devil. The enemy is after your reputation and God's reputation in your mind. His goal is to get you to believe that God isn't good and that you aren't good with God because those two beliefs are at the root of every battle you face. Think about it. Let's take fear. I say that we all battle that at some level, right? What's it rooted in? Really, when you think about it, either the belief that something's wrong with you, therefore something's not going to work out, or that God is mad or won't come through and it won't work out that way either. And there might even be some evidence that seems to back up those thoughts that make them feel real. Maybe you feel this way, so therefore you are wrong. Or your spouse left you, so therefore you're not good. Or you're struggling financially, that means God's left you. Or your health is failing, that means God's punishing you. I'm not minimizing the pain in any of those physical things. I know they hurt. But they are meant to mess with your mind in order to affect you from the inside out. Since the devil can't change God's mind, he tries to change yours. His only real power is the power of persuasion. So, spiritual warfare principle number three, don't let him. Listen, I, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you're facing. I don't even care what gets in your mind. You win if you don't let it change your mind. A couple months ago, I had the opportunity to be on the Life Today TV show to talk about my Shut Up Devil book. 
And one of the hosts, Randy Robeson, asked me a question that I was so glad that he brought up because it's something that I really get often in social media and email messages that come through. He asked, does the fact that someone has had a bad thought or a bad feeling or a bad experience mean anything about them? Like, is a bad thought sin itself? Is a bad feeling, a bad emotion sin itself? And I say those things only mean that you're human. You got to get this. Feeling an emotion itself isn't sinful. Take anger, for example. I think a lot of us would think of anger as maybe one of the the worst emotions, I guess. We'd think of it as sinful. Many people would. Yet the Bible says that Jesus felt anger. He was angry at the religious leaders who were cheating the people, and he flipped over their tables because of it. But just being angry didn't make him sin. Feeling that emotion didn't make him sin because we know he was sinless. So the fact that you feel an emotion, whether it's fear, depression, anxiety, whatever, doesn't mean anything bad about you. None of it changes what God thinks about you. That's my point. So I answered Randy's question on the program with Romans 3.22, which says that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And I love how it goes on. It says, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Your standing before God, the righteousness you have in Christ, means that despite wrong feelings, you are a right person. It means that despite wrong thoughts, you are a right person. It means that despite wrong memories, you are a right person. It means that despite wrong symptoms, you are a right person. It means that despite a wrong history, you are a right person. Do you get the point? This is how God saw Job in the Old Testament. Despite all his things and all he said, he still saw him as a right person. And now on the other side of the cross, this is how God sees believers today. Christ writes you despite you. Your victory, your sanity, and the extent that you give the enemy any attention is really about not letting any of his notions, emotions, or commotions change your mind about that. About your standing with God. And it took me years to get this. The first book that I bought as a born-again Christian was a spiritual warfare book. And I bought several of them after that. In fact, for a good while, I probably had an unbalanced interest in the subject. And I know why. It's because for like the first decade of my faith, I thought every feeling, emotion, and bad habit that I struggled with was something of the devil that made me wrong. So of course, I'd consume these books about how to defeat the devil. They included declarations to undo curses and specific objects to remove out of my house and certain ways and lengths to pray and fast. And while it was good that I had a reality of the enemy, all of these things to do and things to defeat just made me worse than when I began because in time I thought that any ongoing feelings, emotions, or bad habits meant that I wasn't doing enough or that I wasn't doing them perfectly or that maybe I am just a lost cause. It just all opened up the door to the accuser all the more. 
Now, I've taught a lot about my journey out of this kind of spiritual warfare. So many of my teachings include that. But a big part of it came with the revelation God gave me of the finished work of Jesus. And that really kick-started everything for me, including this ministry. A little later, while studying the armor of God in Ephesians 6, God said to me, spiritual warfare isn't about fighting a devil who's defeated, but it's about standing in the victory of the one who defeated him. Those were real eye-openers for me. But this truth about the devil's name, meaning slanderer, that was another one, another big eye-opener for me. Let me show you the difference that it makes with one of the most popular verses about spiritual warfare. You probably know it, James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, it says. Well, a lot of us are caught up in all of these ways and means and methods of resisting that, as I've been saying, is making things worse. Because it's getting us caught up in a bunch of works that we can't do perfectly anyway, and then when we don't do them perfectly, the enemy's there to accuse us, and around and around it goes. Listen, that first part of that verse, humble yourself, humbling yourself before the Lord simply means to know who He is and who you are. Know His character and where you stand with Him. That's what humility is. It literally means to have an accurate view of yourself, not a negative view. An accurate view. And as a believer, the accurate view of you is that God says you are good with Him. Nothing more accurate than that. That's not prideful. That's accurate. That's what God says. The second part of that verse, resist the devil, resist means to stand, to maintain a position, not fight, but stand. You're standing against the devil, the slanderer. You're standing against his lies and what he says they mean about you. That's the way you resist. You do that simply by keeping your mind on truth. And ways that might look in your everyday life is when you fail, it's remembering, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. When you're in pain, it's remembering God is good. The circumstances of life might not be good, but God is good. When you feel guilty, it's remembering, I am forgiven. Jesus canceled the record of my wrongs at the cross. Rehearsing and repeating those truths in your mind and use your mouth if it helps. That's what causes the slanderer to flee. That's where he loses the only power he's got. The devil is not threatened by how many spiritual jumping jacks you can do or how many pies you bake for the church potluck or the exact percentage that you give in the offering. Those are fine things to do, but only the blood of Jesus can destroy the power of the enemy. And good news, it already did that work. Your responsibility in spiritual warfare is to ensure that the devil doesn't convince you that it didn't work. I always say that two-thirds of the word resist is rest, R-E-S-T. And that might be anecdotal, but it's true. Your victory is more about resting in Christ than anything else.
So spiritual warfare simplified is this. Yes, there is an enemy. You got to have that foundation. But number one, he can't change God's mind. So number two, he tries to change your mind. Number three, don't let him. It's really that simple. Okay. As I said earlier, when it comes to the emotional, psychological, and spiritual conflicts in your life, a lie is always at the root of them. A lie disguised as truth. That's why they're so sneaky. For years, I tried every method in the book to get better in my battles. Nothing really worked. Frustrated for so long. Until I addressed the lies that I didn't know were behind all the battles. I'm telling you, after a decade of ministry, I've seen this so much in people's lives. That's why I wrote my book here, Shut Up Devil. I begin the book revealing the slander and how he sneaks his way into your mind. Then I teach you how to close your mind's access to the enemy so that he can't get in there anymore. And then the rest of the book, we use those principles to shut down the 10 lies that I reveal are behind every battle you face. This isn't just a book of information, but it's a handbook for victory. And I'd love to send you a signed copy today so you can order Shut Up Devil. Silencing 10 Lies Behind Every Battle You Face on my website, kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. It's kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. And you'll get free shipping in the United States. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember that God is good and he is for you. We're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast, and wherever you get your social media. And don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.